Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining Purpose Driven Sobriety. My name is Christine and I'm an alcoholic. I want to thank today's sponsor, um, Notch Wilson, who is a friend of mine in recovery and is a huge supporter of us in recovery. So Notch, thank you so much for supporting uh, this episode. Today, I'm with Miss Nicole, who we met on one of the recovery pages on, um, on Facebook, actually, which is a great resource. If you're in recovery, new to recovery, thinking about re- anything recovery, there are some really great pages that um, are just great sources for recovery. So be sure to check those out. So, Nicole, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here, truly. I'm so glad you're here. Well, and, and what we do, what I love about how how I started the, the show is, is that I don't know anything about you, girl. I don't know anything about your story. I don't know what what is what. And that's what I love about being able to learn this just, the, the, you know, through natural fruition, um, you know, um, and, and, and through our conversation the same way the audience will. So, so what we do is we just share our experience, strength, and hope um, so that the person who is still suffering, you know, can, can, uh, can grasp onto that hope and, and get the help they need. So without further ado, Ms. Nicole, tell me about all the things. All right. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, again, my name's Nicole. I am definitely an alcoholic. Hey, Nicole. Um, I am originally from Alabama. And, uh, but I was raised in, uh, for the most part, in Maryland and Baltimore. Um, you know, I was raised in an average household, uh, a very religious household. However, uh, I grew up Seventh Day Adventist, mm. uh, very strict, um, no alcohol. I went to Adventist school all my life. Uh, my parents, the same, their parents before them. Uh, so, you know, generations right. of Adventists. And so, therefore, I was in a very large Seventh-day Adventist bubble, if you will, growing up. Um, My father succumbed to this disease Mm. in 2005. He did not raise me. My parents were divorced when I was pretty young. And he was out of the picture, you know, even before they divorced. And I hated my father for a really, really long time. And uh, eventually, everything I hated about him, I would become. Mm. Um, I, again, matriculated through Adventist school all my life, graduated high school. Um, I am gay. It took me 40 years to be able, almost 40 years, to be able to say that out loud. Um, I never told anyone. You know, I dated 
a boy quite successfully in high school and as an adult. Um, I did some college and then I decided I wanted to get a big girl job and there was an airline that was hiring and so I applied and I got the job as a flight attendant and I had to fly down for training uh, for six and a half weeks and that is where I had my very first sip of alcohol. Oh wow. Now let me ask you Nicole, do you have siblings? I have one sister, a baby sister. Okay. Yeah, we okay. Are three and she was apart. raised with you? She was raised with me, Gotcha, yes. gotcha. Okay. And she's a normal drinker. <laughs> That's weird. That's just weird. That is. <laughs> it is. I find it quite bizarre to just have one glass of anything and put it together. Right? Who does that? <laughs> but, um, you know, she does, She barely drinks. But gotcha. anyway, gotcha. Uh, yeah, we were raised together, and we're pretty close today. Awesome. That wasn't always the case. Awesome. Uh, so I'm in training and um, my classmates, you know, we had the night off. So we, they wanted to get some drinks and I said, okay. So I didn't know what I was doing. So I got Corona. Oh, <laughs> Remember, dear boy, you didn't, you didn't just take baby steps. You jumped, <laughs> you jumped off head first. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> first before, you know, it seemed like I, I'm in Texas at this point and, you know, just seemed like the thing to do. Oh dear. <laughs> we had next food and with Mexican food goes Corona for me at that time. So, um, you know, I, I drank, uh, three bottles and it should have been a clue then how my drinking career would go. My classmates took the remainder of the six pack away from me because remember I hadn't had any alcohol before in my life. So, so what was that first Corona drink? So take me back to that moment. What, what was that? Not the, obviously maybe the fourth or fifth sip you know what was that what was that like how, how old were you I wasn't even legal to drink yet I was 20 years old oh, snap. Okay. I was 20 years old um I loved it it was tasty I liked the taste of alcohol mm -hmm. um from the very first sip I liked the way it made me feel I'm an extrovert naturally but this just you know, expounded upon that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all my, any inhibitions that I did have were gone. And, you know, I was the life of the party in my own head before I took a drink. And right. after I took a drink, oh, forget about it. I was just, you know, Miss Popularity, sure. funny people, crazy people in a good way. And, um, you know, it was wonderful. And I could not figure out why in the world anyone would tell me not to drink this stuff. Mm. Like, that's crazy. And I said, you know, you don't have to abuse it. I, I can just, I can drink and have fun. That, that was my thought process. So did you know, and did, did you know at that point, dad was an alcoholic? Did you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Okay. I knew alcohol was never in my home, but I knew that daddy went away for a little while. I remember distinctly going to visit him. I didn't know where that was at the time, mm. but now I know that was a rehab. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Okay. And uh, I was very, very young. I'm talking, my parents were divorced when I was eight. He was probably out of the picture between ages five and six. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So I was really young when that happened. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, again, I never saw him drunk or, or high. Um, you know, it, it was not, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what being an addict or an alcoholic was. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, in hindsight. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> I yeah that, you know, that's what was it. going on. Mm -hmm. uh, so my mom tried, but, you know. Got to figure it out he ourselves. Wasn't. 
That's right. Yep. So, and, so we uh, were introduced to, to Mr. Corona and he made you happy. Yeah, he did. He made me extremely happy. So I thought, where can I go from here? You know, it was, it was a progression for sure. And, you know, in the, in the in-flight industry, it is very much a part of the culture uh, to drink. I mean, there were parties every Friday, mm. you know, with alcohol flowing, free alcohol flowing. Mm -hmm. It was almost as if you didn't drink, what is wrong with you? Right. You know? And so when I got out online flying, I graduated from in-flight school. Um, I got, I started flying and, you know, we flew, that was the in-between, the flying on the airplane. Mm -hmm. The real job was when we get to the hotel, we're synchronizing watches. How fast can we change and get down to the bar? Wow. And um, and that was my life um, for a long time. And uh, I met a guy at, at work and, you know, he we got together. Uh, that was what was expected of me. So that's what I did. You know, I pushed down any thoughts about, women because mm -hmm. that was just a big no-no sure. I was raised again in Adventist church no 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 you're going to hell you're disgusting all of the things uh but the older I got the more you know those feelings were starting to come up and this man asked me to marry him and I, I accepted and we were engaged for a couple of years and finally I, I realized I, I can't I can't marry this man. I, I will end up breaking his heart. Mm -hmm. And while I did break his heart when I broke off our engagement, that was to me better then than if I had married him right. and we ended up in divorce and I, you know, had two with 0.5 children sure. and all the things that, that would have been a mess. Right. And it, it broke my heart, but uh, you know, that's what I had to do. I did not tell him the reasons why I was breaking up with him. I was not honest right. with him. And honestly, I wasn't honest with myself either. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was you know, a secondary reason, primary reason I gave him and that I deluded myself into believing was, oh, we've just grown apart. Right. You know, it's just, it's just, we're just in this all these years to, you know, save face because we've been together all this time. Our families are kind of intertwined. So, you know, let's just, let's just do this. It's the natural progression of the relationship. Sure. Um, so yeah, we broke up. And, um, you know, I was still drinking, but I was having fun. I mean, it was great. <laughs> On my overnights, I was um, drinking at home. You know, I never got hung over. Um, so I, I was good. Um, we went on a family cruise and my mother did not know I was drinking, uh, that I had ever started drinking. And I knew that I was not going to be able to go on a seven day cruise without the drink. beverage. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a floating bar oh, right there. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. So I... I gave her a disclaimer before the cruise. I said, listen, mom, you know, I drink. And, you know, she didn't say anything. And I said, you know, I don't drink to oblivion, you know, but I, I mean, if it's the special of the day, I might have one or two and I'll be good. You know, I don't want to hear anything about it or, you know, I don't want to get a lecture or get a look like this is my life. I'm good and grown, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. leave me be. She did. She didn't say a word. Um, you know, cruised. I never got drunk in front of my mom. Um, you know, and then we get back from the family cruise. I land, I go back to work, I land on my first overnight, and I get a long text from, from my mother, the top of which says, Your arms are too short to box with the devil. 
and I quote. <laughs> oh, I just, oh, look at, I don't know if you can't see. Look at all that hair standing up on my arm. Oh, girl. Oh, she was hitting you below the belt. Oh, my goodness. It was. Wow. And I was so annoyed by that. Oh, because it was so truth. Annoyed. Smacking you right in the face. It I, was truth. Yeah, it was. Wow. It was. But I could not see it then because up till then, as far as I was concerned, drinking had not caused me any problems. <laughs> so what are you talking about? Like mm. you're being over dramatic mom, like you always are. And I just sent her a text back after a long, hard eye roll and said, you know, I'm an adult. Mind your I've been drinking for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mind your business. Mm -hmm. Respectfully. Mm -hmm. Respectfully. I did put that on it because I'm still, I still have a healthy fear of mama. <laughs> <laughs> but mm. I said, you know, just leave me alone. And she that had to be about so hard on her to, you know, now that I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mom of five, you know, and, and I just can't, when you know that it's in the gene pool and you know that there is, there's a 50, 50 chance, honey, that you're going down this path and to watch that happen if she, especially if she wasn't an Al-Anon or anything like that. I mean, just to watch, just to go, oh my gosh, I, that has to be just torture for a parent. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I'm sure that it was mm -hmm. for, for sure, but mm -hmm. I didn't care. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. Time. Yeah. But, because you didn't see the problem. There was yeah, right, a problem. At quite frankly, I, I didn't, right. I didn't care. I mm. just thought she was being ridiculous and you know, I'm growing and I'm handling things. Overprotective. All my, mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, moving on, I decided I wanted to start to date women. And, um, you know, that did not come easy for me. I was not used to having to approach people. Right. I was used to, you know, in the heterosexual world, men approaching me. Mm -hmm. so I, you know, to gain the courage to talk to anyone, I, I would have some drinks. <laughs> and I was living in Alabama at the time. And, um, you know, there was like one place that you could go and meet anybody. And it just, it just did not bode well for me. I, I did not have great success. It was, it was weird. Uh, so the first woman that showed me any attention without my approaching her, I fell for hook, line and sinker. Mm. She was a manager at my, my work, but on the ground. And um, the only caveat to me falling for her was she was not single. And I knew that. Mm. And I got to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. That is not something that I ever thought that I would get myself into. Um, but I did. I did. And I went in eyes wide open. Mm. And you know, she would tell me, you know, she's breaking it off with this other woman and an intelligent woman. <laughs> and I knew in the back of my brain that that's what people that cheat tell the other person. But I felt I, I, I went along with it. I went along with it for two and a half years. Ouch. I was the other woman. Oh, this this begins the insanity <laughs> in my life and the problems this this is the where i can pinpoint you know that me making poor decisions right and um and in drinking more and more to you know heal my my broken heart when you know she would leave me for her i mean i'm 
flying all over this country when she's going on business trips, meeting her in the hotel. I'm in the bed and she's in the bathroom talking to her, um, her partner at the time. And I took that. I took that. Because on one hand, that was happening. But on the other hand, she made me feel like I was the most important person in the world. Isn't it and so weird I, to look back on that and just think, who does that? I do, I'd grow on because I, I do the same thing. I look, I look back at it's, it's some of my goings on, and I'm just thinking, who in their right <laughs> mind, me, I did, I yeah. did that. I, oh, hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. You can see it yeah. perfectly when you're on the other side of it, but when you're yeah. in it, man, and golly. I, I, I cannot believe that it is to this day. <laughs> it just when I say it out loud, I just I cannot believe it. But eventually, and and let me say, I never told a soul about this relationship. Really, Not for two and a half years. For two and a half years, wow. I told no one because I thought I was doing something wrong. Not because of the affair, <laughs> because it was a woman. Got it. Because it was a woman. I was so ashamed of, you know, being gay, uh, but I wanted to live my truth, but not tell anybody about it mm-hmm. at the same time. And I worked for an airline. There are plenty of gay people there, but I didn't love or like even myself right. as a woman. So, and, and, and God, any God that I had grown up with, I had pushed way over to the left because I did not think that I could have a relationship with a God and be gay. Well, I yeah, truly did a, it. a God that you were trained was going to doom you to hell for who you were. Right. Mm-hmm. Those two things just didn't go together. Mm-hmm. So um, she uh, eventually left the other woman we became monogamous. I had a stepdaughter that she, you know, she had full custody of. She was two at the time. And um, we eventually got married. And again, nobody knew. Really? Nobody knew. Nobody knew. How did you do I that? that? Did you I distance yourself from your, from your family? Oh, oh, Absolutely. Slowly but surely, I distanced it. I distanced myself from family and any friends that I grew up with. Mm. Uh, I distanced myself because, first of all, I was tired of who I was telling what to lie to mm. about where Exhausting. I was living, what state I was in. Because we moved around. She was in leadership again, so we moved around. I was tired of keeping up with that lie. Mm. Um, so when we got married, it was just her and I. That was it on a beach. We were living in Florida at the time in the panhandle. And um, I, I, I did not tell a soul, did not wow. tell a soul. Mm. Um, about a couple of years into our relationship, things that were happening that I didn't understand, uh, she would, her, the mood swings would, would, you know, go from good to bad, like within seconds. And I was trying to figure out what I was doing wrong. Any intimacy ceased completely. Um, she did deal with chronic pain, which, oh, that just, that just egged me on because I said, oh, I can help her. I can save her from herself. Um, which, you know, that's a very, very dangerous, Mm -hmm. (laughs) dangerous position to put yourself in or think that you, to think that you can save. 
that's sure. that's that's ridiculous. I know that now. But at the time, you know, everything that had got me hooked in stopped. And I, I didn't understand why. Uh, so, I, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about this. I'm still drinking, but <laughs> controlling it as far as I was concerned. A friend of mine that's in the mental health profession told me to read a book that dealt with borderline personality disorder. And I did. And Christine, when I tell you, I read that book in one night and I read my life with this woman from courtship <laughs> to the, that present day. I said, oh, ding, 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 ding. Like, this is it. This is what I'm dealing with here. And so then I thought, you know, even better. I know what it is. So now I really have the tools. Now to I can figure help. out how to treat her. <laughs> yes. This flight attendant has turned into a psychologist oh. and psychiatrist all yes. in one night. Oh, my goodness. And you know, again, that did not bode well for me. Uh, you know, I continued the constant vacillating from I love you, I hate you, don't leave me was exhausting. Mm. And trying to raise a child in that environment and give her some sense of normalcy. I and, and normalcy, I use that term loosely because I am still drinking very heavily, um, you know, and I'm, I'm justifying it because, you know, here I am, I'm stressed. I'm married to this woman that has all these problems. Nothing's about me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? mm -hmm. And I'm trying to be the, uh, the good parent figure in this child's life. Um, we're living in separate bedrooms at this time. Mm -hmm. um, there is no intimacy whatsoever that went on for seven years. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was, I was, I was lost. I truly was. And at work, you know, everybody drank like me as far as I was concerned. You know, they didn't know how much I was pre-gaming before I went down to the bar and how much I was post-gaming mm -hmm. when I came back mm -hmm. shut the bar down. Mm -hmm. And the manis on the airplane, oh, child, that was for me. <laughs> that was for me and only me. Mm -hmm. I had them lined up. And, you know, over the course of several years, I started to, to think that the maid was checking for me. So do you know what I was doing? I was taking an extra trash bag off the airplane to put my empty minis into it. And before I would check out of the hotel, and a lot of the hotels where the ice machines are, they're pop-up ceilings. Yeah. I was taking my large bag of empty minis and popping, going to a different floor. <laughs> Going to a different floor and hiding my bag of empty meat. Oh my goodness. Oh, the energy. Oh, the energy we put. Oh. For doing that. Really did. But the insanity of thinking that the maid cares what I'm doing <laughs> in my room. <laughs> but you, you, that's just I'm, one more person that's judging you. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, and I would go home. You know, we were living again in Alabama and uh, we had moved, like I said, we moved around a lot and, oh, I couldn't wait for her, my, my wife and my stepdaughter to go see her mama about an hour north of where we were in Alabama, because that was, I was free to mm. drink what I wanted to drink. And she, cause my wife would started to say things to me about my drinking. 
And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, she had some chronic pain uh, problems. And so she was on pain meds a lot of the time. So I thought, who are you to judge me? Mm-hmm. Am I, you know, nodding off at the table eating ice cream uh, because you've taken too many pain pills? I am fully functioning. <laughs> you know, I am holding down my career. I am raising this child by myself because where are you? I'm doing all the things, the dance, the softball, all that. And, you know, and I'm doing everything for you. I'm cooking, I'm cleaning. So how dare you? say anything to me was was how I felt. And again, in the house, we traveled all around the world. We had a full display case of alcohol, fancy bottles from all around the world. I began to get into those. (laughs) And the food coloring came in, the refilling bottles, (laughs) buying different bottles, shipping them in when she wasn't home. Replace, yep. That was making sure the amounts are the exact same. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. It it just and again Mm -hmm. I thought I was genius. Well, also what was going on, uh, you know, again, we're, we're in a very toxic, um, dysfunctional relationship. I did not understand why she didn't love me the way that she used to. So I got it into my little brain that if I lavished her with all these trips around the world, first class trips, first class resorts and properties, that she would love me again, mm. you know? Well, I couldn't afford that on my little flight attendant salary at the time. So I thought it was a good idea to dip into her bank account to fund um, these trips. That is something that I am most ashamed about. Again, I never thought I would get myself into something like that. And I thought with every little bit I took, that I could put it back. I can put this back. I can put this back until the hole got deeper and deeper and deeper into an astronomical amount of money. And I I knew as time was going on that she was going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But see, at the time, because I had taken all these responsibilities of, you know, okay, I'm going to pay all these bills. I'm going to do all this. Not that I was necessarily paying them by myself, but, you know, I had control of all that. What, what, you know, what bill was due when, when it's coming out, yada, yada, yada. Um, So she never looked at anything. She never looked at anything. So this went on for probably five years. Oh, wow. And at more and more it, it happened. So you were the spending more... the money on tr- on trips and stuff. Did she, she didn't question? She didn't. She didn't. I, she trusted me 150% mm. and I took full advantage of that. And I justified it. I honestly, in my brain at that time thought, oh, on one hand, I'm, I'm spending it on us. Right. So it's okay. I'm spending it on our family to make our lives better. But she didn't know. And that is where the deception comes in. Gotcha. And the secrets and the lies come in. And the things I was doing to cover my tracks come in. Mm-hmm. It ate me alive. Until all I wanted to do was drink 
I didn't care about working anymore. I didn't care about fixing our relationship because I knew that was done when she figured this out. Mm -hmm. And I just, I would sit at home and I would drink, 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 drink. Vodka was, I graduated (laughs) to, you know, harder things. And I just liked vodka. And um, so that's what I did. And finally, it all came to a head and she found out. Um, This was 10 years worth of a marriage. And um, of course she was angry, rightfully so. And she wanted me gone (laughs) immediately, Mm -hmm. rightfully so. Mm. So I packed any little suitcases I had and I went, um, I flew back up home to Baltimore where I am now. And um, she threatened to out me to my mother. Oh, wow. Which, you know, hurt people, hurt people. She was angry. And, I, and that was the best way that she could think of to hurt me. And because I forgot to mention, she was not out either. <laughs> and she was 17 years older than me. So we are both, you know, hiding. In, in, in our relationship, in our marriage. Um, so, you know, I could not let her tell my mother Mm-mm. that this had been going on. So, and one night I had to tell my mother that I was gay, that this woman that she thought was my friend was my wife, that I was getting a divorce she was going to be disgusted by me. And I had to tell her what I'd done with this money. I had a good stiff one before I did all this. So, I mean, I am sobbing uncontrollably. I did not say all of those things as calmly and as clearly as I'm saying mm-hmm. them right now. Yeah. I was rocking back and forth in paranoia because I thought at any moment, the police are going to come knocking on this door to come get me this money that I had stolen. And my mother, and I was more afraid to tell my mother that I was gay than to tell her about the money. I was more afraid of her reaction from the fact that I was gay. My mother looked at me, and as far as I was concerned, my mother sits at the throne of Jesus. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, She looked at me and she said, Nicole, you are my daughter. And I could never be disgusted by you. No, way to go, mom. And I thought, gosh, I could save myself a whole lot of pain and fear. If I had known you were going to react like that. Right. <laughs> wow. Um, and she gave me a hug. And she didn't judge me for any of it. None of it. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Even today, she ain't fitting the flag, a uh, rain flag in her yard. <laughs> or, or baby steps, baby steps. Hi. But, you know... She didn't shun me. She didn't hate me. But now I am so depressed because I was in the closet. So these two people, my wife and my stepdaughter, were my world Mm -hmm. for 10 years. Mm. 
I did not know what to do without my world. I was personally responsible for blowing it up because I'm such a horrible person mm. from the things that I've done. And so all I knew to do was sit in my mother's basement and drink. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that I'm gay still, even though my mother reacted that way, I still was holding on to that shame. I was ashamed of being a thief. I was, I was devastated that I had hurt my stepdaughter whom I love so much like my own and my wife. I was, I was just devastated. Um, you know, my wife and I got a divorce and I didn't hire a lawyer. Um, she did, <laughs> and I just signed my little life away in our settlement agreement, and I agreed to pay her a ridiculous amount of money a month <laughs> that I knew I couldn't afford, mm -hmm. but I was running in fear, too. I was running in fear, because I thought, if I don't sign this, this is never going to go away. Right. You know, I gave her all of my 401k that I had to that time. And I, and I wanted to, you know, I felt so bad about what I had done and I'm just trying to fix this. I'm just trying to fix, I, 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 that's where the problem is coming in always. I'm trying to fix And that is not this. where the solution is. <laughs> no, no, I know that today. <laughs> I, 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 trying to fix it. And finally I decided that, you know, I'd be better off dead. And, um, you know, if I, if I die, I can just sign, you know, my life insurance over to her. She will be made whole and, um, you know, nobody will have to deal with me or what I did, me being gay or any of that. And uh, so I started a journey to drink myself to death. Mm. That was the only way that I knew to do it. I wanted to die. I was drinking, this was April of 2019, and this lasted until October of 2019. Every single day I woke up, I would, only time I consulted God for anything was, why am I awake? Why am I here? Why, I was drinking half a gallon of vodka a day. Mm -hmm. Easy. And I was, I thought, I thought I was hiding it pretty well, though, still, <laughs> from my mother. I... And my clever little alcoholic brain, because <laughs> I was in the basement, it was like a little apartment down there. There was one window in the entire house that wasn't connected to the alarm, uh, where it would announce if the window was open. And that was the one down the basement with me. I was climbing out of that window at 40 years old, oh, climbing <laughs> to walk to the liquor store <laughs> so nobody would know when I was leaving the house. And again, I thought I was ingenious. I would even start the shower when I would leave, just in case my mom would open the basement door looking for me, she would hear the water and think, oh, she's in the shower. Mm -hmm. I thought I was clever, but I still didn't think I had a problem, Christine. I was controlling this this death march, to, you know, by alcohol. I was in full control of it, is what I told myself. I would date my parents, go to church on uh, Saturday, of course, and uh, that was my time, because then I could go out the front door. <laughs> and I would be, I was walking over to the liquor store, 
the minute they open and be angry if they were not open right at the time they were supposed to be. Mm. I am one of those people, those women, I don't go out of the house without a little something on my face and being a flight attendant for all these years, definitely it's expected. So it's hard for me to go out with at least lip, not lip gloss mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. I didn't care what I looked like. I did not, all I cared about was drinking. Drink until I pass out and start it again. Drink until I pass out and start it again. And uh, that was my life for those months. That was my life. I didn't go to work. I would call out all the time or give my stuff away. Mm. Give my stuff away, my trips away all the time. And uh, finally in October, I became violently ill. Couldn't keep anything down, not even water. My hands were shaking, I was sweating. I had no idea what was going on with me. It had nothing to do with me drinking half a gallon of vodka a day, by the way. That absolutely never even crossed my brain. I get it, I, I get it, I get it. Never crossed my brain. I thought I had some kind of stomach virus. Mm-hmm. I did, I truly did. And I just couldn't take it. I, I'm finally after two days of that, I told, I called my mom up from um, upstairs, I called her down and I said, you going to take me to the hospital. I don't know what is wrong with me, but I mean, I can't live like this. But mind you, I want to die, right? <laughs> but, but I'm but telling get me to the hospital. <laughs> right. so I don't want to suffer. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So she, unbeknownst to me until that night, knew that I was drinking. She dropped me off at the emergency room and looked at me and said, you better tell them what's wrong with you. And I looked at her just as straight as I'm looking at you right now and said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I went in and of course they took my blood and came back and said, we are pretty sure you're withdrawing from alcohol. I had no idea that was even a thing. No clue, never heard of it or I didn't know that was a thing at all. I guess I had run out, obviously, and and I'd gotten so sick, mm-hmm. didn't get a chance to take my trick over mm-hmm. to the liquor store, mm-hmm. and uh, I was drawing. And for me, that was my bottom. That was my bottom, because now my dirty little secret was out. Even though these were perfect strangers, I on the outside had held it up pretty good, you know, in the few far in between trips that I went on. My coworkers didn't know, right. you know, I had isolated already from most of my friends, my close friends. So, you know, I was really holding it together on social media and all that. My life was great. But for me now, I couldn't hide it anymore. And that I was so tired. I was so, so tired of living. I use that term loosely, mm-hmm. existing mm-hmm. really, existing in the way that I had been up to that point. And I knew that I didn't know how to get out of this cycle. So did they inform you in that moment, the, what exactly could happen to you if you continue? I mean, as far as, you know, people don't realize the withdrawal from alcohol can kill you. You you know, there are, yeah, there are a lot of other drugs that you want to die from the alcohol. You know, it's, it's so uncomfortable and, and painful, but with alcohol, it can kill you. So if you are, are, you know, listening and you are 
are drinking very heavily and trying to stop on your own. You know, it took me, it took me right into about the 72 hour mark when I would, you know, think that, oh, I've, I can stop when I want to, that I would go into seizures full on. I mean, it was, it was bad. So please, if you are trying to stop on your own at the bare minimum, you have to let someone know, do not be alone or at least let someone know what you're doing so they can check on you or, or what have you. Cause it's so, 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 so dangerous to withdraw from alcohol on your own. Absolutely. And I did not know that then. It, it was much farther into my recovery that I found that out. Mm. But, uh, you know, that's what I was going for anyway, death, right. you know, so, you know, but I was truly exhausted. I really was. And I had not up until that point still admitted that I had a problem, that I was an alcoholic. So for the first time in probably 12, 15 years, in my hospital room, I got on my knees and I raised my hand and I said, I need help. I cannot do this by myself. And this weight instantly came up off of me that I can't even accurately describe in words. I didn't know how I was gonna put one foot in front of the other. I didn't know how to even live without alcohol. I didn't know how I was gonna navigate anything, my job, all that, I had no idea, but I knew I couldn't do it. I wasn't capable of doing it. I knew and I confessed in that moment, Mm. that truth. And, um, you know, thank God my airline has a flight attendant drug and alcohol program. So I was able to call and self-disclose that I was an alcoholic and I was in the hospital. And this, this team is made up of flight attendants who are in recovery. Oh, that's amazing. They held my hand virtually, you know, through the phone. They had all my trips pulled for the foreseeable future. Uh, You know, it's a medical leave of absence. It's undisclosed the reason why, uh, you know, and they made sure that I had a plan before I left that hospital because I was terrified to leave without a plan. Oh, yeah. God, don't leave leave me to my own devices. I know what I do. Yeah. No, oh, girl, so I, they, I get uh, it. Oh, girl, I get. Oh, I just felt sick to my yeah. stomach. That that feeling of okay, you know what? Can I go home with you so that you can watch me, or you know, you can babysit me, or just don't let me go home by myself because I know me. I know what I'll do, and it's terrifying. It is terrifying. Absolutely. I so feel that. absolutely, mm. absolutely. So they. Uh, they evaluated me and they asked me if I want an inpatient or outpatient. I said, I do not care. You tell me. I am not qualified to make any decision right now. Mm. Um, so they they put me, the first program they, they found for me that had an opening was an intensive outpatient program. And so that's what I did for eight weeks. Um, I had a peer recovery specialist um, come into my hospital room before I left and 
you know, kind of talk about what was going to be the process and outpatient and told me that one day I was going to be grateful to be an alcoholic. And I will not use the choice words (laughs) that you shared with that person. (laughs) I get it. Oh, are you Uh, kidding me? I just thought she has lost her mind. Mm. I didn't want no secrets my life had been full of secrets here now you know and i still i was like i'm not telling a soul about this are you crazy are you Mm -mm. kidding me Mm -mm. like my mother is the only person that's gonna know and i don't really want her to know all the reasons she knows because i was living with her i just want to get better and put it behind me yeah wrong (laughs) (laughs) i did the intensive outpatient program for eight weeks and uh, they introduced me to a 12-step recovery program and from that, my life has changed exponentially, mm. exponentially. Um, you know, I really thought I was a pretty decent person before I got into this program and I uh, started really, the program forced me to take a good hard look mm. at Nicole. And, you know, when, when I, when I first had to, you know, list all these ways that my life was unmanageable, out of the delusion, now I've you know, heard all of this about my life. I still was under the delusion that it wasn't that bad, mm. you know, and I had to really get honest with myself. And as I started turning the page, the writing about the ways that my life had become unmanageable, I stopped comparing out. Because that's what I did for so long. Right. Even in my active foolishness, I would judge the people that I saw in the city, in the streets, nodding off or under a bridge. Because see, the alcoholic, that was my idea of an alcoholic. Right. Oh, for sure. Person With the paper bag. Paper bag mm-hmm. Doesn't have a house. Mm-hmm. You know, I had all the things. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not you. I don't look like you. I don't act. Absolutely. My, I, and a person that's very important in my life pointed out to me at, at the very beginning of my recovery that your outside, you kept up a little bit better, but your inside was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that hit me like a ton of bricks because she was absolutely right. Mm. I was broken. I was soulless. I did not recognize who I saw looking back at me in the mirror anymore. My moral compass, there was none. I'm not going to do this until I did. I'm not going to do that until I did. The bar just kept getting lower and lower and lower to there was really quite frankly nowhere for else for nowhere else for it to go as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. And you know, my spiritual life, I didn't have one. Had didn't have one. Um that like I said that hospital room was the first time I had consulted God. I was allowed to choose a God of my understanding and recovery. That was that was a, a phenomenon to me. I, I mean, I, I I I couldn't fathom that, but I did. It was weird, and, wasn't you know, it? When someone first suggested that, it's like, <laughs> and and I'll tell you, my sponsor used the and and because I'm one of those. I, I'm I, mean, I think I'm kind of smart, but I needed stuff, girl. I needed stuff brought brought way I dumbed down. No offense to myself, but I needed it dumbed down. And she said consider it Build-A-Bear. You know, ever been to Build-A-Bear? Mm-hmm. You can you can just put it together as you wish. And and I just thought, well, that's 
that's ridiculous. But I too was was so far down on my knees that I would have, I would have, girl, I would have done anything that someone else that was at least halfway sober asked me to do. I would have done anything, anything, absolutely. Anything. Yeah, that's where I was. Mm. And uh, you know, today, my God is a loving God who accepts me and wants the best for me. And today, the difference in me is I want him to guide me in my life. Every single day, I get down on my knees and I raise my hands just like I did in that hospital room because I never want to forget Mm -mm. that night, that hospital room. Mm -mm. And I ask for my God to guide my tongue and guide my walk and help me to be of service to him and to others. I never thought I would pray a prayer like that. I didn't care about anybody else. I thought I did, but I didn't really care about anybody else but Nicole. That is the honest, hard truth. Um, You know, in recovery with my ex-wife, you know, I was still trying to control the situation for years. So, you know, it was like, Every time she'd ask me for something on top of what was already happening, you know, I'd jump. I'd, you jump. She says, jump. I say, how high? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's way to turn. I'm, I was still living in the fear of what was going to happen if I let go. It's been four years. We go to court next week again. <laughs> because this time, in January of this year, it's just taken me that long <laughs> to stop trying to control the situation. And that's exactly why I'm still going to court four years later, because I didn't hand it over. I did not hand this this one thing, this what has been a gray cloud hanging over me and right. my recovery. Right. Um, I didn't hand it over. And I decided in January that I, I was done living like this and in constant fear and, you know, wondering, you know, if I don't do this, what's going to happen? If I don't do that, what's going to happen? What is going to happen? I don't know. And Mm -hmm. I can't control it. But Mm -hmm. today I have a lawyer and, you know, I'll let them figure that out. Right. And I pray. And because as it gets closer, of course, my anxiety is through the roof. But I I handed that over too. I prayed for peace over the matter because what is going to happen is going to happen. I can't control it. Well, and, and it's, it's to, self, I, I totally get what you're saying, too, because because it's one of those things where it's like I'm 11 years into this gig, 11 and almost 11 and a half years into this gig. So so you would think I would have graduated. Right. That I, <laughs> I that I that I have the diploma and I, I have all the things recovery and I know it all. But sure as shit. I'll be spinning, and you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say spinning. I'm I'm spinning and my husband, my husband will go. Did you give that to God? And I'm like, right. Oh, that. Wait, wait a minute. That too. You mean I got to give over that too? And it's like, and and he, of course, he can. He, I love him to death, and he can reprogram me in a minute, meaning throw my program back at me. And he's like, well, you're welcome to continue with how you feel now if you want to, or maybe you might consider giving that to God too. And I'm just thinking, shit. Do I get to keep anything? You know, and it's like, sure, you can. You can keep all you want, all you want to carry, all you're capable of carrying. 
you know, you go ahead and, and when you drop, make sure you pick it back up properly and you add. And it's like, if you want to do that to yourself, you're free to. But but if, if I were you, I would consider just giving that to God because you, you, don't, you do not have power over it anyway. Absolutely. Uh, and just, I have just been... I've just been in such a rush to fix it. I It didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. So of course I'm not going to be able to fix it overnight. No matter, I can't will it <laughs> to mm-hmm. be solved overnight. So I had to let that go. And that's how I live. I try, I strive to live my life today. And even though I was not asking for his grace through all my alcoholism and all the things that I've done in my life, and you know my path of destruction if you will mm-hmm. i can look back today because i have a relationship with my god today i can look back and see god's grace and mercy i could have lost my life mm-hmm. i could have lost my career i could have killed someone else because no i never had a dui but that's not because i never got behind the wheel mm-hmm. it's because right. i didn't get caught. sure No, I didn't lose my job. That's not because I never crossed the threshold of that airplane under the influence. That's my honest truth today. Mm. And and am I proud of that? Absolutely not. But I have to get honest. I had to get honest with myself. Right. uh, You know, once I became, once I got the relationship with a God of my understanding, I and the willingness to give my life over to my God. I cannot tell you how many moments over the course of these last few years that I've seen his presence in my life. My first trip back to work, I didn't know how I was gonna handle serving alcohol, had no clue. The first trip, the first flight, there is a man in the front row reading a book called Grace and Addiction. Stop. And I thought, mm, God nod, huh. God nod. I see you, yeah. I see you. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we ended up talking, and he was just a few months sober, like I was, and we still keep in contact. To oh, this that's day. amazing. Gosh, oh. uh, you know, and probably about a year into this thing, I'm still grappling with my sexuality and God. Still. So hang um, on, take me back to that airplane. So how was it when you got off work and headed for the hotel? You know, I, I prayed. Did you have a plan? While, I, I, I knew I could call, you know, some people in my recovery circle, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I didn't have, but did I say, oh, I'm going to call them? Absolutely no. <laughs> I did not say, if I get to feeling froggy, right. you know, I will call somebody. Um, and while I was pouring drinks, there's people, I didn't care if people thought I was crazy or not. I would talk to the minis and say, oh, Mr. Jack, you got me into this situation. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, vodka. Yep. This is what happened <laughs> with you. <laughs> and, all that poor, and honestly, it got me through. It got me through. Mm. And then, you know what? COVID happened and we stopped serving alcohol on the plane. <laughs> so, hey, I know people hated it, but it was great for me at work. Right. That, um, I bet couple of years yeah um, and I distinctly remember being on it now that was hard because at the hotels there were nothing but crews and so of course that's all they want to do is drink and party mm-hmm. and I remember distinctly being in Fort Lauderdale I was probably six months sober uh six or seven months sober and 
I mean, the beach was shut down. And of course, all the fly tents and pilots want to drink. And I was pissed. Mm. <laughs> I was pissed that I couldn't drink. I was pissed that I was pissed because then I felt weak. And, um, you know, thank God for Zoom. I went on a long walk and I hit a Zoom meeting. And, um, you know, a friend of mine was on it. And after the meeting, she called me and she said, what's wrong with you? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> she said, something is off with you. And I told her and she started laughing. And I didn't think anything was funny. <laughs> and she, I said, why are you laughing? And she said, Nicole, you've been sober for like two seconds. <laughs> she said, you're an alcoholic. Like, of course you want to drink. Mm -hmm. Of course other people can drink <laughs> and you can't. But did you drink? Did you do what you're supposed to do in your program of recovery? Mm -hmm. Okay, then. It's a successful Let's day. Let's put down the bat. Mm -hmm. Let's put down the bat. <laughs> you mm. know. Um, so, I, you know, then I could laugh about it myself. Right. But uh, back to the that airplane where this guy, this guy comes up to me because um, I'm grappling again with my sexuality and my spirituality. And this man comes up to me in the galley. And he goes, hi. And I'm thinking, why are you up here? Because COVID is real and you, you, you know, your germs go away. And he was like, um, hey, have you heard this song? And he holds up his phone and it was called The Blessing. And um, I said, no. I said, he pulls out his earbud. He said, here, take a listen. And I said, no, sir, I don't, I don't share earbuds. I said, but I'll listen to it, you know, from your phone when I'm finished doing what I'm doing. Fine. I listen to the song. I start bawling, crying. Oh, it's a wow. beautiful song for anybody that's listening. The blessing. I can't tell you who sings it right off the bat, but it's a beautiful song. I go back to him. I say, COVID be damned. Give me a hug. And he looks at me. And I have never seen this man before in my life. He looks at me. He says, you've had a rough few years, haven't you? And I said, well, yes, sir, I have, but you know, I'm, I'm on the mend now, day by day. And he's looked at me, he said, God wanted me to tell you that he loves you. He's crazy about you just the way you are. Wow. And for me, that was my God coming down and saying, you big dummy, <laughs> I done held you through all of your craziness and you still don't believe that I've got you and I love you. And that's just for me. I don't push that on anyone else, but that was for me. Mm. And I have been a loud and proud gay alcoholic <laughs> that's amazing and, um, you know i now work with the fly attendant drug and alcohol program i took the courses to become a peer recovery specialist <laughs> the person that came into my room and said one day you're gonna be grateful i'll be darned if, <laughs> if she, she wasn't right, right. <laughs> uh, you know i now work with teenagers who are struggling um in rehab as a peer recovery specialist. And the woman that answered the phone when I called from that hospital, I got to hug her neck two years ago oh, at wow. the flight attendant alcohol program conference. And I just, 
you can tell, I mean, I'm a crier. The gratitude, just the <laughs> I gratitude. I don't apologize Mm-mm. for that today. God gave um, us tears when we don't have words that are sufficient that's enough. Right. Mm. And Use them. tears are tears of gratitude today. Mm. Today I have a purpose. Today I'm grateful to be alive. You know, if I had to go through all that hell, self-imposed for sure, most of it, self-imposed, then so that I can today hold my hand out to other people who are sick and suffering, then so be it. Amen. So be it. I don't regret one second of it other than the people that I hurt mm-hmm. and I didn't realize when I was in it that I was hurting right of course that's my only regret the rest of it if it got me to here mm-hmm. to the person that I am today mm-hmm. to the spiritual life that I have today then so be it I love it so be it I love it well, so it's, it sounds like you, you know, the, the beautiful part about recovery is that we, we become so comfortable with our darkness that we're willing to go into someone else's and, and be that hand, you know, and be that voice when, when the world is so loud that they can't hear God, they use a guy on an airplane to come up to mm. you with a silly song, not a silly song, but you know what I mean, with a song just to get your attention you know, um, but, but to, but to be the hand that, that someone else can reach out for, that's what it's all about. And I, I, just like you, I believe that we, you know, I have a new purpose, you know, um, since getting sober and the gratitude still girl, it's like I said, it's, it's 11 years for me. And, and I've, I feel it to my core. I can, I can go back to that desperation in a heartbeat. And I believe God leaves that door just slightly open so that we, we don't lose touch and we stay kind of tethered, which is humility, you know, and we stay tethered because there, that whole um, that whole me too. I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. Um, it matters and it, and God uses us to reach his other kids. And, and I too, am so grateful for that. I think you're amazing. (laughs) And I, I'm so grateful that, um, I have a sister in sobriety that, um, is a new friend and that is, is not scared to, to tell your truth. And be that hand as well. Well, thank you. I am so grateful for you. I've been following you since the beginning. <laughs> a little bit of Facebook talking. Because I love, I love this podcast. And I love what thank you're you. doing. And I love that you recover out loud. Girl, we have to. I, yeah, yeah, I agree with to. you 100%. I, I agree with you 100%. And I never thought I would be that person. Right? Ever. Well, well, you know, it's one of it's one of those that that you know, I, I'm I, you know, I'm a I'm a heterosexual white woman, you know, and I'll tell you what, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly how you feel because carrying around all those masks and costumes of where am I going to be? Who do I have to be here? Oh wait, no, no, I got to be this person. I got to be it, it almost killed me too, the exact same way. It almost killed you, right? And there's that, that just, we're, we're so much more alike than we are different. 
you know, and, and I, I do, I do treasure anonymity for someone who chooses to practice that. I, God bless. And, you know, to each his own. But for me, I, I had to just be myself and, 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 and I'm a loud person girl as it is. Um, so I, I just, and I just, I had to just be true to who I was finally, you know, for the first time in my life, 11 years ago, and it felt so good, you know, and, and again, when, when someone messages you and, and just says, you know, I'm, I'm going through this, I mean, and you get that tinge of your purpose, man, that talk about a drug, talk about a, a high, you know, to be something for some, another one of God's kids. It just is where it's at. Is where it's I agree. At. Well, Part keep recovering out loud. I think you're amazing, and I'm so grateful that you are on the show. Well, thank you so much again for having me. Thank you for having this platform of to course. reach My so goodness. many still suffering. So many. It's it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. God bless you, sister. I appreciate you. Thank you, Notch Wilson, for um, again for sponsoring this episode, and thank you for listening to purpose-driven sobriety keep coming back thanks for listening to purpose-driven sobriety keep coming back